Well, death is not something that's fun to think about or talk about. Um, in, in our day and time in particular, uh, talk of death is avoided, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, it's reality, it's finality, it's often downplayed. I was reading an article recently and talking about this kind of phenomenon within our present day culture. And this is inside and outside of the church, that traditional funeral services as, we, as they've tended to be done. They're, they're being replaced by creative, happier alternatives. And so some families just choose to take a vacation instead of having a, a funeral service. Or, or they'll, they'll do a volunteer service project, go to a homeless shelter and feed the homeless instead of gathering together and, and, and remembering someone who's died. Or they'll have just a big party and a big celebration, a big keg party, something like that. Or, or even, the, even the wording, it's, it, even within the church, we talk about celebrations of life. And, and understandably, in, in some ways, we, we, we see why we would want to do this. But the, there are all kinds of attempts, though, to conceal sadness, to, to put on a happy face, to push gloomy thoughts of death aside and to focus on the positive. And so this is, we, we, we find that, that biblical lament is, has all but been lost in our day and even in the church what it means to just lament and to weep and to be sad before the Lord. If you've lived long at all, and most of you who are hearing me and not coloring on coloring sheets have uh, lived long enough, that you have been confronted with the ugly, painful, tragic reality of death. And as much as people say things like, oh, they're better off, or death is just a part of life, as much as we soothe ourselves with those words and try to soothe one another, there is something that gnaws at us. We know this is just not the way it's supposed to be. Death is not, it shouldn't be. It's just not, not it. And yet the stubborn reality of death persists. We can't escape it. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, <laughs> if you really want to be cheered up this week, if any of you are on Twitter, I don't really follow it much anymore, but I remember this. I re- my mind was jogged on this because there, there's a Twitter uh, account that has this handle. This is the name of it. It's Daily Death Reminder. And basically all it is is each and every day that account sends out a tweet, a simple four-word message you will die someday. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's very encouraging. But in, ta- in case you're ever tempted to forget it, you will die someday. But honestly, that is a good, needed reminder. Uh, one day, you will die. A longer version of that simple tweet, this is from uh, a book called The Last Enemy by Mike Whitmer. He says this, You are going to die. Take a moment to let that sink in. You are going to die. One morning, the sun will rise and you won't see it. Birds will greet the dawn and you won't hear them. Friends and family will gather to celebrate your life and after you're buried, they'll return to the church for ham and scalloped potatoes. (laughs) We've been there. Soon your job, your favorite chair, your spot on the team will be filled by someone else. The rest of the world may pause to remember, 
And it will give you a moment of silence if you were rich or well known. But then it will carry on as it did before you arrived. There is no remembrance of men of old, observed Solomon. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Ecclesiastes 1.11 You are going to die. What a crushing, desperate thought. But unless you swallow hard and embrace it, you are not prepared to live. You get what he's saying. You, you will die. That's, it's hard news to accept. What a crushing, desperate thought, he says. But, but as he says, unless you swallow hard and embrace it, you are not prepared to live. Well, we need these truths that we're looking at today in this final, these final phrases of the Apostles' Creed. We, we desperately need to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We need these things. If, if our Christianity doesn't have that, it doesn't have anything. If our Christianity can't handle death, if it, if it can't handle the accident scene on the, on the side of the highway, if it can't handle the cancer ward, if it can't handle the hospice unit, if it can't handle the emergency room, if it can't handle the funeral home, if it can't handle the graveside service of someone who's tragically died, if it has nothing to offer in those moments, then we don't really have anything worthwhile. We have nothing. If death isn't a big deal, or if death is just a part of life, the circle of life, then there really isn't any reason to be a Christian. But Christianity is based on an understanding that death is a big deal. It is a problem. But we also believe, and here, don't worry, it's not going to be a morose message, we also believe that death doesn't get the last word. Because of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ, we are a people with a future. And that's the hope, a future beyond the grave. So I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's not something that was just invented by Christians to make themselves feel better. That is a precise claim of Jesus Christ Himself. In John chapter 11, you know the account of Lazarus' resurrection, but Jesus spoke to Mary about the death of, of her brother Lazarus, and Jesus says to her, Lazarus will rise again. And Mary is a good uh, righteous, religious, Jewish woman, she has this sort of obligatory answer to Jesus. And she says, yes, of course he will rise on the last day. But Jesus says something that is completely shocking. He says, John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying that if you believe in Him, if you trust in Him, if your confidence is in Him, even though you'll die, you won't ultimately die. You will live. When you trust in Him, death isn't the final outcome. That's what Christ is saying. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He turns to Mary and He asks her, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's the same question for us today. Do you believe this? Do we 
believe this, brothers and sisters. Do we believe in the resurrection of the body? Do we believe, truly believe, in life everlasting? And so let's talk about this. Let's talk about, not death, but let's talk about resurrection and life because of the reality of death. And so we're going we're gonna to talk this morning just three simple statements. Life as it was, life as it is, and life as it will be. So the first point is this, life as it was. We were made for life, but the wages of sin is death. We were made for life, but the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't think I need to spend any more time convincing you of the reality of death. I know people sometimes joke there are only you know, two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Now, for some people, they, they can, uh, through creative accounting, can, can do away with one of those realities, it seems, uh, but, but, but one of those is true for absolutely everyone, and that's obviously death. Death is unavoidable. And in trying, though, to, to reconcile with, uh, try to wrestle with and to reconcile death and life, um, I think most people tend to do one of, kind of come at it one of three ways. And so uh, these are some of the approaches that people take. Some try to deny death. They just deny it. And what I mean is they just pretend it, it's not that big of a deal. Pretend it doesn't exist and just kind of put it out of the mind. Ignore it. Avoid talking about it. Avoid thinking about it. That's kind of what we're talking about other and I think is what's represented in some of the trends today, uh, today that are in replacing funeral services. So denying death. Another option is to defy death. And, and I'm not saying these are all... We, we can do both of these. But, but to defy death. To try and... And extend life as long as we can and just keep death at, at arm's length. And, and, uh, and so we chase the next miracle drug or the next diet or the, the next fad that's going to kind of keep us alive as long as possible. And if all else fails, we may result to cryogenics or something like that. And just hoping that maybe science will be able to bring us back to life and our frozen bodies, you know, thaw them out and all of that. So, so denying death, defying death, and then, and then the other option is sort of idolizing death. Idolizing it. That is kind of cavalierly suggesting that death may be a better option. And, and obviously things like suicide would come in there. But, but, but even just the, the way we think, that when we die, oh, they haven't really gone. They're still with us. And, and this kind of mystical notion that you know, they're better and they're still present you know, with us in some, some way. Their spirit's with us, that kind of thing. But, but Christianity doesn't have any of that. The Bible doesn't. We recognize, and the Bible makes this clear, death is real. Death is real. And death is separation. Death is an enemy. And, and, and we also realize, in, according to Scripture, we cannot overcome it on our own. We can't, we can't do it. And so death is a big problem. It's, it's not the way things are supposed to be. While the world sees death as just sort of the natural outcome of the way things are, Christianity screams back and says, No, we are made for life. We are made for life. And so if you've ever intensely struggled to understand the loss of someone, if you've, if you've ever watched just the long, watched a long life come to this slow, agonizing, painful, grinding halt as it deteriorates, as the body wastes away with some disease, if you've seen that, it's, it's awful. 
if you felt the intrusion of this sudden, unexpected, tragic end to a life, and I know so many of you have, if you've ever had just a compulsion to rail against death, that's because we know that death is not the way things are meant to be. And in the very beginning, the very beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis, we see we were made for life. And so we often, as we, we get fixated in, in the Garden of Eden on the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there are two special trees in that garden. And so Genesis 2 verse 9 says, In the middle of the garden there were, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's important, while, while Adam and Eve were prohibited from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they were free to eat from the tree of life. They were free to do that. And that tree presumably would sustain them forever. And this tree makes a reappearance at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22. And so the, the whole image of Eden, though, it's about, it's about this life, abundant life with God. That's, the, that's what we're made for. Life. And so even the word Eden... It means luxury, delight, that Adam and Eve, they felt no shame before God. They felt no shame with one another. They were in this open relationship with God and they enjoyed it. And by God's grace, through the provision of the tree, that was the way things were meant to be. So, so the entire Bible, as we're going to see, we're going to end up in Genesis, or Revelation 22. The entire Bible is bookended with life, life in God. And so, also this, that this life, it's only possible through God. That for, it, for it's from God that life flows. It's from God that life is sustained. And it's, and it's through God that life's going to be restored. Death is going to be defeated. And so, as centered of the world, as Adam and Eve turned away from God, they cut themselves off from God's gracious provision of this life. Adam and Eve thought their, own li- their lives would be better if they asserted their own autonomy over God. And, but they quickly found out that uh, that autonomy that cut themselves off from the source of life in God. And so they separated themselves from God and sent in, sin entered the world. And, and because of that, death. Genesis 3.19. I mean, God said, when the day that you eat of this, you will die. You will surely die. And Genesis 3.19 is the curses are pronounced by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Or as Paul put it like this, in sort of the size of a tweet in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12, in a little longer form, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so, well, all I want you to see here is it's important to note this, this unbreakable link that's asserted here, this link between sin and death. That's the connection. Adam's and Eve's sin, and they represented us in it. It cut us off from the source of life. Sin brought death. And so life as it was, we were made for life, but the wages of sin is death. All right. Now, second point, life as it is. Life as it is. Jesus' resurrection, it, it drags ours in its train. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. So, so death is a problem, but Jesus conquered death. 1 Corinthians, now we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, it's taken us a while to get there, but, but we'll be there for a, a bit now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 
And four, Paul's saying, this is the gospel, this is the good news, this, this message uh, that I'm proclaiming to you, and it's what? It's this, that Christ died for our sins, verse 3, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is what we've been affirming about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. We, we believe Jesus suffered died, was buried, descended into Hades, uh, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, is seated now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so when Jesus, when Jesus did that, when he died, suffered, died, rose, there was a lot that happened, and we've been talking about that, but, but it included the defeat of death. Death was defeated. Jesus defeated death, defeated the devil, he was given a resurrected body and he now lives forever in glory. And this has everything to do with us today. It does. And with our hope of things to come. And so the, this, this amazing news is that Christians can be presently, you as a believer in Jesus Christ can be presently free from the fear of death. You don't have to be gripped by fear of the grave, because Jesus died and rose again, and your life is hidden with Christ in faith. His resurrection, it drags ours in his train. You, you know the image there. Just picture a, a long uh, train. Look at that, that locomotive, that engine pulling, you know, 100 cars, uh, train cars behind it. You know when you see and you wait through that, you know, you're sitting on. 92, waiting for that train to cross uh, in front of you. And many of you have waited at that intersection, at that crossing for a long time. Um, but you, you know when you see that, that, that the, the 100th car is going to go exactly where that engine goes. It may, there may be a long gap of time between when that engine crosses that intersection and when that 100th car crosses uh, that same that same road, but if it's connected, as long as that car remains connected, you know its destination. And so that's the point. In the same way, when you're connected to Jesus, your resurrection is as certain as His. Your hope is as certain as the reality of Christ crucified and risen again. And so Paul is absolutely emphatic in linking Jesus's resurrection with our future resurrection. And this is his point in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the case he's making. Because people were beginning to wonder and beginning to doubt. And so he says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And talking about uh, us, our dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. You hear what he's saying? I know he's being very redundant on purpose to make his point. He's saying that Jesus' resurrection, it guarantees ours. Just as sin and death are inextricably linked, so Jesus' resurrection and ours are linked. That's what he's making. Look at verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if we stand alone, we remain in Adam and we're bound up in death. But if we are joined with Christ, we are bound up in life. We have this hope of resurrection. 
skip all the way down to verse 42. This is a long chapter. We don't have time to work through it all. But just see the argument he's making here. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, he says. What is sown, or you know, uh, planted in the ground. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now notice, he didn't say it's raised a spirit. He's not talking about one day we're going to be raised as these you know, disembodied uh, ghosts just kind of floating around in the, in the clouds somewhere. That's not it at all. We're raised as a spiritual body. It's a, it's a new kind of body. Just as Christ's resurrection body is a spiritual body, a new kind of body, so will ours be. It goes on, verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. So in all this conversation about the spiritual, again, don't divorce the spiritual from the physical. They're not at odds with one another. He's talking about a spiritual and physical resurrected body. One that can be touched, one that moves, one that has a nose and ears. It's physical. It has recognizable traits. Verse 47, the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, he's from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are all those who are of the dust. That's you and me. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, all believers in Christ. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the man of heaven. And verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, look, see, get this. This is emphatic. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And so what I want you to see, our, our hope it's not just for today, and, the, and what I mean by that is, it's not just our hope is not uh, being resurrected spiritually. That is true. We, we, we um, by virtue of our union with Christ, we have, we have resurrection power, we have life in Christ, new life in Christ now. But that's not the extent of it. We, we have a future hope. We will be raised in honor and glory and power. We will rule alongside Christ and in an imperishable body. And even that prospect, it has everything to do with today. How we think about life now. How we live. How we speak. How we, how we, what we want. Our attitudes. And so the Bible, the Bible though, it's very honest. It's very clear about our physical future. That this thing, this body, it's not built for eternity. It's not. It's perishing. I'm 42 years old. I know that's younger than some of you, a few years younger than some of you, a lot older than others of you. I know that I'm already well on my way to decline. <laughs> I get it. Uh, I will probably never be more agile than I am right now. And that's not very agile. Uh, I will probably be never be faster than I am now. 
Um, I will never have any more hair on my head than I have now. Uh, I could grow it a little longer, but there's not much to grow. I will ne- my, my facial hair will never be darker than it is right now, unless I color it, which I won't. And if I do, please say something to me. Um, it, it's all downhill from here, physically speaking. Um, I, can, I get hurt so easily now already. It's embarrassing, honestly. Sleeping is a dangerous activity. Where you wake up and your neck's sore and it takes a while to get things moving. Shoulder, I slept on it wrong. And I'm like, this is just crazy. And I know some of you are like, just wait, just wait. But, but th- this is perishing. And we can feel it even now. Um, without disease, without you know, some catastrophic injury or accident. The body is dying. Gravity is winning. We, we, we should be good stewards of our physical bodies. I'm not, I understand that. But when all is said and done, this thing's going to fall apart. It's going to happen. They're, they're, we're going to get sick. This is, our bodies are going to get sick or injured. They're, they're going to grow weaker. They're, going, they're, they're not going to do the things we want them to do. They're perishing. And when this body perishes, it will be sown. That's the, that's the imagery. That's the language that Paul uses. And we get it. Just like we bury a body in the ground, it will be sown. It will go into the ground, Paul says, with dishonor. With dishonor. Nobody dies pretty. Death is an ugly, ugly thing. There's, there's indignity in death. I don't care how much people try to deny that and make it sound rosier and prettier and take that away, but, that, but that's, that's not how we will be raised. That's his point. Because this is perishable, but what I'll be raised in is imperishable. This is so, I'll be sown in dishonor. This body will be sown in honor, dishonor, but it will be raised in honor. This body will die in weakness, but it, it, I will be raised in strength, just like you who are in Christ. And that's why later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul can audaciously say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He, he's actually mocking death there. He's saying that death is now ultimately powerless. It doesn't have the hold it once had on us because of Christ. Because Jesus' death and resurrection, it completely reverses that effect of sin and death. Yes, we will die. These bodies will be sown in dishonor and weakness. And, 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 um, but they will be raised in honor and strength. I mean, j- just a parallel passage, and there's many passages that, that speak to this, but Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he writes to those believers, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to how he describes it, who, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And, he, and how is he going to do this? How, how, how can he do that? And he says it's by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our bodies will be changed, will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And that is what we need to hear, isn't it? I mean, we have a future. Our future is physical as well as spiritual. That's his point. So think about the body you have right now. 
Only think about it without all of its limitations. And it has many. And think about those, those things that come with mortality. If all of that's removed, think, think about living without any decaying process. Living without any sickness. The way your body was meant to be in the first place before sin entered the world and death through sin. We will not cease to physically exist. We will be raised. And that's glorious news. That's important for us to remember. And that's, that's why it's so clear in Scripture. That's why the Apostles' Creed includes this. I know we get all tied up in knots over eschatology, but the resurrection of the body, this is essential truth for us, church. This is essential. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to cease existing physically. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a glorious thought that we will be raised with Christ. I want to live. I want to eat. <laughs> I want to feast. And, and I, I just imagine what eating will be like with resurrected bodies. I, I want to see the new sights and new sounds and see those things and hear those things with, with eyes and ears that are resurrected and not, not subject to the decay of, of this world. I, I want to dance. I mean, I, I want to be in God's presence. I, I want and, and I want to see the brokenness in this world overturned. I want to see the sick well. I want to see the poor rich. I want to see the hungry fed. I want to see the lonely loved. I want to see the marginalized embraced. I mean this is this is the prospect and it's and it's all possible. Our hope is our present hope and, and the way that affects us is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking back at that past reality that Christ suffered, died, buried, was risen again and sins to the Father. Now that helps us now and presently to live in light of this future hope that we have. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's pooling ours. It's, it's giving us resurrection, new life now, but it's guaranteeing this hope of things to come just as Jesus' resurrection was bodily and transformed, so too is ours. And we can be confident that we too will rise. And that gives us, borrow words from an old hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And this is how Paul concludes the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. See, verse 58 this is his conclusion. In light of this fact, in light of the fact that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, because these things are true, dear brothers, he says, therefore, in light of this, my beloved brothers, what? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Oh, he's saying it has everything to do with now. Everything. So life as it was, life as it is, and then finally, life as it will be. Life as it will be. And now, again, we cannot exhaust everything there is to say here. We're just going to be like a rock skimming across the surface here. But Jesus' return will usher in a new creation and eternal life. And, and, and this truth of resurrection, it's not just for us. It's not just for our bodies. It's for all creation. It's a, the whole creation let me just give you an example. Romans 8, verse 22. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, yes, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. But, uh, so, so yes, we, and we long for that resurrection of these bodies, but, we, but all creation is growing, is longing to be remade. And so it's, it's, this, is, this is just this waiting, and God has not abandoned His creation. He's not abandoned us, He's not abandoned His creation, but He will make it new again. And I want you to turn now to Revelation 21 as we, as we finish up here this morning. Revelation 21, this chapter, uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you just make a note, in, if you're taking notes, just sit, note Isaiah 65. And you could go back and read Isaiah 65 and you realize that this revelation that Jesus is giving to the Apostle John, it's sort of piggybacking on Isaiah 65. But Revelation 21, verse 1 we can't read everything here, but just get a sense of what's of this life to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now look over to Revelation 22. Just turn over the page. Revelation 22 and verse 44. Or excuse me, verse 4. And verse 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's just a sampling, a teasing of what's, what's to come. But we just say a couple of the things about life that will be. Uh, life to come. One thing, let me say this. Our future... It's not strictly in heaven, but on earth. I know we, we talk about heaven, and, and, and that's understandably. And, and it, to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you die now, you're with the Lord in heaven, we could say. But, but, but there is an earthly dimension to eternity. The emphasis here in Revelation 21 and 22, it's not on us going to heaven. It's on God coming to earth. That's the language. A new heaven and a new earth. Now things in heaven and earth are separated. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will actually come to earth. You see that image of the heavenly Jerusalem. This heavenly city coming down to earth. It's like heaven and earth come and join together again. And are reunited. Uh, Mike Widmer in that same book that I mentioned earlier. He said, we don't merely hope for the day when we go to live with God but ultimately for that final day when God comes to live with us. That's what we see. And so our, our future is earthly. It's heavenly, yes, but it's, it's also earthly. Second, our future is a new Eden, a new garden, but it's a better one. And what I mean, it's not just a rewind to where Adam and Eve were and where they started out. No, it's actually better. 
It is. It's like it in many ways, but in, in many ways it's better. Just let me give you a couple quick ones. There will be no temptation. That's very different from the first one. There will be no Satan to get us away from all of this. There's no, no, nothing to worry about in that way. It will be absolutely perfect and glorious. So it will be a new Eden, but it will be better. Third, our, our future, it's eternal. And again, there's so much to say, and this is what the creed is confessing, life everlasting. And in, in, in Revelation 22, it's forever and ever. We, we, we believe this. It's, it's, it's eternal. And then last, the, the best part about our future is that God will be there. God will be there. The best part about the eternal state is not our new bodies, as great as that will be. Now, I think not dying is going to be pretty cool. Um, but don't get me wrong. But no, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more loss. Reuniting with loved ones who have died, that will be wonderful. I mean, I, I, I long to meet my grandfather that I, you know, never, grandfathers, I never knew. And I've heard stories about relatives you didn't know, heroes of ours, of faith who've, you've, you know, died before us. But the best part will be that God is there and we will see his face. Uh, James Hamilton said, says of this, uh, this passage in Revelation 21, 22, John saved the best thing about the Edenic temple city for last. It is better than walls of jasper whose foundations are 12 precious stones, better than gates of pearl and a street of gold, better than a river of the water of life and a tree of life whose leaves heal the nations. Those things are going to be awesome. But it's better than all that, he says. It's the best of all. What makes all of the rest meaningful? The answer, the presence of God. The presence of God. For the first time in our lives, we will see God with our own eyes. Physical eyes. Yes, redeemed, resurrected, spiritual, physical eyes. But we'll see Him. We will know by experience God's presence. Faith will be sight. I mean, as a Christian, just, I was trying to think of, it's so hard to, again, we, we're so, obviously, understandably, just by our finiteness and our mortality, it's hard for us to, to even have the categories of thought. But this is, this is an, a very imperfect illustration, just trying to get a sense of this, though. But as a Christian, you, you no doubt have had those times, have had those experiences where you felt this incredible sense of God's love for you. I mean, it's, 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 it's flawed, it's not a perfect sense, and it doesn't last, it's fleeting, but you, you've, you've sensed that, and, and you, yet, yet once in a while we're just overcome with this sense of God's pleasure in his, us, His love for us. Our, our emotions for that moment, they align with what's true, with all of those spiritual realities and blessings that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 and all of those things that are true, we, we get it and, we, and we, just, we, we sense it. And it's glorious. Well, one day we will see God. And for the first time, His love for us will wash over us fully and permanently. And in, in return, for the very first time, we will love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We will be able to do that. And for the first time, our souls will be fully satisfied 
in Him and, and we'll be satisfied in, in what, we were, what we were made for, which is fellowship with Him, relationship with Him, and His glory will permeate all creation and we will delight in it. And just to give you some sense, this is, this is life as it will be. Well, this is what we believe, brothers and sisters. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We, we need this hope. Um, because let me give you your daily death reminder again. You will die someday. Um, Christianity, it prepares you for that day and gives you hope even when you face your greatest enemy, death. And we get to live in that reality now. We don't have to be gripped by fear of it. All of this is available to anyone who wants it. To anyone who receives the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. We receive it with empty hands of faith. It's not like we barter with God here and say, if God says, if you'll do this, then I'll give you this. No, we come to him empty, giving him nothing but our sins and receiving eternal life from him on by virtue of what he's done for us through his death and resurrection and this is why jesus says again in john eleven twenty five, i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live no more death no more pain no more suffering no more sin that's that's always been god's plan Humanity would be restored in relationship with him forever. And that, that's the entire story of the Bible, that we get back to what we were made for, life with God. But we couldn't do it on our own. And Eden showed us that. The life we were made for with God is only possible through the life of his son. It's, it's by being with him in union with him. He's, and he's offering that to you forever if you'll trust him. John 11, he goes on, Jesus says, he says to Mary again, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Mary? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. How about you? Do you, do you believe this? Well, just to, just to pull it all of the strings of, I know when you spread a series like this over 13 weeks, over this succinct statement of the Christian faith, it can, it can seem disjointed. But let me, let me go back to where we all began in this study, and just to remind you, and it connects right here with what we've, what we've just been saying, that the, the Apostles' Creed, it's not just some intellectual statement of faith. That's not it. it. It is a trusting response to who God is and what he's done. That's what it is. And this is why it begins with the words, I believe, and it ends with this, this exclamation, Amen. So be it. And this is, this is what we're, this is our response. We're saying, I believe, and after we've, what we've confessed what we believe, we say, so be it. Amen. And this is what Christianity is, brothers and sisters. We said this at the very beginning, we've repeated it throughout, but Christianity is creedal. The word creed just means, it comes from a Latin word, means I believe. Christianity is an I believe religion. I believe is at the heart of Christianity. It's not about what I've done, it's about 
what we believe. Every other religion, every other way of approaching life is rooted in, I've done. This is what I've merited. This is what I've accomplished. It's what we do for God. But our acceptance from God is not conditional upon our doing. Because our doing's never enough. I've done just doesn't work. It doesn't save. I've done is not Christianity. Christianity is I believe. Amen. So when we confess this creed, and, and, and this is important to remember as we finish this up, and as no doubt this is not going to answer all your questions and all your doubts, and when we confess this and and so we affirm these things, we say, okay, well, now I'll never doubt again. That's not it at all. You will doubt. You do doubt, and you will struggle, and you will, you will struggle with assurance, and you will face difficulties, and you'll question uh, the sufficiency of what Christ has done, and you'll forgiveness of sins and hope of things to come. You'll struggle through those things. But what we're saying is, I'm, I'm not looking inside of me for that. The objective truth is not in the subjective experience of, of what, how I'm feeling at the time. No, I'm saying, no, this is my hope. What God has revealed, this is my hope. My confidence is here. It's outside of me. So when I'm struggling with those doubts, I'm not helped by evaluating how I'm feeling in the moment. I'm helped by looking outside of myself and saying, no, this is true. I, I believe in God. I believe He's the Father Almighty. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born of, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and, and so on. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the in the the the, the church. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We're, we're, we're believing these things, no matter how I feel in the moment, no matter how near I feel to God, no matter how distant I feel to God, I can look out of myself and confess what is objectively true when we say, I believe. That's our hope. That's our safety. That's our assurance. That's our help. That's our rest. And God is offering that rest to us. And He offers it uh, to those who are without Christ that you can, you can know this rest. You can know forgiveness. You can know life by trusting in Christ. And for believers, we who are in Christ, this is, the, this is constantly, again and again and again, instead of relying on ourselves, we're turning again and again to Him in faith. And, and, and saying to the one who not only made us, but who redeemed us. And who holds out to us a, a bright future. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help these truths that we've been just bathing our minds and our souls in over these last several weeks, Father, that that uh, we may not see the immediate relevance in the moment, but Father, you, 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 would, you would work these truths in us, God, so that in those times when we question, in those times when we doubt, in those times when we we, we, we are struggling. We would, we would have um, this, this map view to, to hold to that that's, oozes your word, oozes your word to us, Father. And we could be reminded of what is objectively true outside of us that we confess and we believe. And so keep us rooted in Jesus Christ. Help us not just as individuals, but as a church to continue to cling to Christ by faith and remind ourselves again and again of, of what is true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.